The epistle for this feast of Our Lady's Assumption is taken from the book of Judith. The Lord has blessed you by his power, because by you he has brought our enemies to naught. Blessed are you, O daughter, by the Lord, the Most High God, above all women upon the earth. Blessed be the Lord who made heaven and earth, who has directed you to the cutting off the head of the prince of our enemies, because he has so magnified your name this day that your praise shall not depart out of the mouth of men who shall be mindful of the power of the Lord forever. For you have not spared your life by reason of the distress and tribulation of your people, but have prevented our ruin in the presence of our God. You are the glory of Jerusalem. You are the joy of Israel. You are the honor of our people. Please stand for the gospel. The gospel is taken from the first chapter of the gospel of St. Luke. At that time, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and cried out with a loud voice, saying, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how have I deserved that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, the moment that the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the babe in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who has believed, because the things promised her by the Lord shall be accomplished. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has regarded the lowliness of his handmaid. For behold, henceforth all generations shall call me blessed, because he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. Please be seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. My dear faithful, we can relate to the joyful and the sorrowful mysteries, but we find it very difficult to relate to the glorious mysteries. The joyful mysteries concern the time of our Lord's hidden life, and there are certainly things in them that we have never experienced, such as the apparitions of, of angels that occur in the first and the third joyful mysteries. You have the apparition to Our Lady in the, in the Annunciation. You have the apparition of the angels to the shepherds in the Feast of the Nativity at Our Lord's birth. But on the other hand, the scenes of the joyful mysteries are fairly familiar to us. We know what it's like to go on a journey to visit a family member, like the Gospel of today's Mass recounts this episode um, from the visitation, the mystery of the visitation. We know what that's like to going to, to meet a family member and, well, not having seen them for a long time and sharing the joy with another in something that's good and even divine that's happened in our lives, as, as Our Lady does with, with her cousin Elizabeth in that gospel. We also know the joy of a child being born into this world um, at, at what, what happened in, in the third mystery, or perhaps meeting someone who gives us a dire prediction and a warning as the fourth mystery, or losing our child, as happens in the fifth joyful mystery. All of these things, we have some experience of them. Um, it's true that these events in the joyful mystery are un unlike the events in our lives in that they involve the life of a God-man, someone in whom uh, you have a human nature and a divine nature hypostatically united. That's what makes all of these things mysteries. They are beyond our comprehension because they involve uh, a God-man. At the same time, as I'm saying, they are the same types of events that happen to us. And for that reason, we can relate to the joyful mysteries. 
Something similar is true for the sorrowful mysteries. We probably have all experienced betrayal in our lives to some degree, the betrayal that, that our Lord experienced. We have seen what those can do who hate us, perhaps, sometimes. We've experienced the hatred of, of others. Perhaps we've also undergone intense bodily pain at some time. Um, it's true, we've definitely never suffered like our Lord suffered, but we know what suffering is like. And for that reason, we can relate to the sorrowful mysteries. So the joyful and the sorrowful mysteries are alike in that while they are definitely shrouded in mystery, they are mysteries, on the same time they contain events that are familiar to us and to which we can relate. But the same is not true of the glorious mysteries. We have never experienced the things that happen in the glorious mystery. Personally, I've never seen anybody rise from the dead, nor have I ever spoken to anyone that's come back from the dead. As a result, I've also not risen, uh, witnessed a risen person ascend up into heaven. I've never seen that happen. I've never seen a risen person crowned in heaven. And so that's, that's four of the, of the joyful mysteries I, I can't directly relate to. Never seen anyone rise from the dead, rise, rise uh, up into heaven, or be crowned in heaven. So, in, in this sense, well, it seems like the most possible um, mystery we could relate to in, in the glorious mysteries is, is the descent of the Holy Ghost down upon the apostles and Our Lady. Um, but at the same time, even there, I've, I've never experienced those, those uh, charismatic gifts on the day of Pentecost. And frankly, I'd, I'm not too interested in attending a charismatic meeting uh, where they try to reproduce these, these charismatic gifts and uh, unfortunately open themselves up to the influence of the devil because they, they presumptuously sort of put themselves in this position of, of trying to manufacture these charismatic gifts. So in, in that sense, the glorious mysteries are not like the joyful and the sorrowful mysteries in that they do not have a direct relation to the ordinary events of our daily lives. And this perhaps leads us to the question, um, why then do we contemplate the glorious mysteries? If I can't relate to the glorious mysteries, then why am I meditating upon the glorious mysteries? In fact, why am I meditating upon them so frequently? You know, our practice is that we uh, meditate on the glorious mysteries on Sundays, Wednesdays, and Saturdays. So that's three out of seven rosaries that we pray in the week. Hopefully we pray maybe even a few more rosaries, but at least we pray our daily rosary. That's three out of seven times we're meditating upon the glorious mysteries. So why don't we, why do we spend so much time on the glorious mysteries, not just one-third of the time, but it seems like three-sevenths of the time, this is the question that I, that I have to ask myself once I understand that the glorious mysteries are something I can't relate directly to. Well, the first thing I think we have to understand is that you don't have to experience a thing in order to have some understanding of it and to draw some fruit from thinking about it. And this is one of the modern eras of education. They think that unless you've experienced something, you can't know anything about it. It's just not true. We can know about things that we've never experienced just by reflection, abstract thought. But the second thing to be understood is that we have much to accomplish in contemplating the glorious mysteries, such as the mystery of today's feast, the Feast of the Assumption. There's an awful lot to be accomplished. We don't think about the glorious mysteries in order to consider the life that we're living. That's precisely the thing. 
We want to consider the glorious mysteries in order to think about the life that we want to live, the life that we're aspiring to. As Catholics, we know that we're not made for this life, that there is a life after this life that's fundamentally different from this life, and that we must strive to attain that life, that life in heaven, and that precisely if we do not think about that other life, if we're not constantly reflecting upon that life that we're not living but what we aspire to, then we won't make it. We won't love that life. We won't have any understanding of that life. We won't have any desire or hope for that life unless we think about it, not just occasionally, but on a regular basis. It would be very strange indeed for us to think that we are made for a certain type of life, whether we're called to this life of glory, and also to say that we're never to think about that life. The fact is, as I say, that if we do not think about the life of glory, we will never enter into the life of glory. And that's why it's so important for us to contemplate the glorious mysteries. To take today's feast, for example, we have to consider what happened to Our Lady after her death so that we can desire that the same thing happen to us. We don't know for sure if Our Lady died. That's a disputed question. The Eastern Church uh, has the belief that she just fell asleep. They have a feast called the Dormition of Our Lady, which celebrates the falling asleep of Our, of Our Lady before she was assumed into heaven. Um, and this is probably why there's no feast of the resurrection of Our Lady. We don't have any feast of Our Lady's resurrection. Um, it's just a disputed question whether she died. She'd have to die before she could, be, she could rise from the dead. So we don't have that, that feast. But, but in the Latin church, um, in our sort of section of the church, we, we do hold that Our Lady uh, died in order to be like her son. But regardless of, of whether Our Lady uh, died or did not die, and I'm, I'm going to assume that she did die, um, we do know that Our Lady's life after death is a different kind of life. It's not the same kind of life that, that we are live, living right now. Um, it's the life that I've been calling the life of glory. And that's why those five mysteries are the glorious mysteries. They concern a type of life that's called the life of glory. And it's a life that has different properties from the life we have now. After her resurrection, Our Lady did not return. She did not rise to the same type of life that we're living. She rose to a different life. Um, she, she rose to a life that is immortal, a life that cannot end. Whereas Lazarus, for instance, he rose to a life where he would have to die again. She rose to a life that has no pain, a life in which you cannot suffer. She rose to a life wherein she is not constrained by the limits of space and time. Because she has a glorious soul and a glorious body, she can move at the speed of thought. She can pass through material things, as our Lord did after his resurrection. And so this is obviously a very different state of life from the one we're living right now. And it's a wonderful type of life, thinking about being able to move at the speed of thought or being able to pass through material things or not suffering at all having absolutely no suffering whatsoever, about being immortal. A very different state of life from the one we have right now. It's a state of life of which we have no experience, but which we have been told will be ours. This is the type of life that's being offered to you through the promises 
of our Lord in the church. We know that Our Lady was given this state of life as a reward for what she did during the time that she had that same kind of life that we have right now. She merited this glorious life by accepting the will of God for her, by consenting to his plans for her, by fulfilling the role that he gave her of being his mother. She is rewarded especially for her fidelity to God's plans for redemption. We know that God asked her as part of her role to actually accompany her son to the cross and offer him to the Father and witness his death. And by doing this, by by making this offering of her son, she merited sufficient graces for the salvation of all mankind. And this is why we call her the co-redemptrix, because of this heroism on her part. Because she did this, she fulfilled her, her role so perfectly, she deserved to receive the reward that came from her good actions. And the, the primary reward is that she received the full fruits of redemption immediately after her death. And these full fruits are the complete possession of the glorious life, body and soul. That she be glorified in her soul, as all the saints are who are in heaven right now, but also that her body be glorified. She was received into heaven. Her soul was glorified by the presence of God, the the reception of the beatific vision. Her body rose from the dead and was restored in a state uh, that was absolutely perfect. And from her glorious soul, there came into her body this radiance that flowed from the soul into the body. And that's why whenever Our Lady has appeared in various places, um, that sometimes, as as she's described by, by Sister Lucy at Fatima, she's described as being brighter than the sun because her body was reflecting the glory of her soul. So the same thing that happened to Our Lady is meant to happen to us. We have not yet experienced it, But we are promised it. We are promised to possess one day that glorious life where we have a glorious soul and a glorious body. We are asked to do the exact same things that Our Lady did during this life. We're asked to discern the will of God in our lives. We're asked to follow that will of God no matter what it demands of us and what trials we have to undergo in order to fulfill it. And we know that if we're faithful in accomplishing God's will, then one day, on the day that we die, we will receive the glorification of our souls. We will have a glorious soul. God himself will inform our souls as he did that of Our Lady when she died, and we, as a result, will partake of his glory. We will have the glory of the beatific vision. Then at the end of the world, we will get our bodies back. Our bodies will rise from the dead, and they will be reunited with our glorious soul, And our glorious soul will communicate to our body that radiance. And we will possess in our body those characteristics. We will be immortal. We will not suffer at all. We will be able to move at the speed of thought. We will possess that same state of life that Our Lady possesses at this very moment and in the human nature of our Lord. After the general judgment, we will then be assumed into heaven. We will be crowned with glory. Everyone will receive what is called the aria or the halo. And that's the joy that comes to everyone from the very possession of heaven. 
some also will receive a special crown, like to the crown that Our Lady received when she went to heaven, a crown that's called the aureole. Those who receive the special crown are those who have achieved a special victory here below, the doctors, the martyrs, and the virgins. They will get a special crown beyond the normal aria that all the blessed receive. It's sort of like, you know, how athletes, after they distinguish themselves in a sports match, they receive special awards like the MVP reward. It's similar to that. The virgins, the martyrs, and the doctors receive this special reward. So, my dear faithful, it's not possible for us to relate to the glorious life because we've never experienced it. None of us have experienced what happens in the glorious mysteries. At the same time, it's very important that we reflect often and deeply about that glorious life because that is the life that we want to live for all eternity. After this short life is finished, that's the life that we want. And if we do not think about that glorious life, we will never be able to attain that life. That's why we reflect upon the glories of our mother in heaven. We think about the beauty of her soul, which is being glorified by the presence of the beatific vision of God himself that she's receiving in proportion to her love for him on this earth and her meritorious sacrifices on this earth. We think about the beauty of Our Lady's body, radiant with that divine radiance that flows from her soul onto her body. We think about the fact that she shines brighter than the sun when she visits this earth. We desire that life that she lives. We have the ambition to live that life one day, to possess that glorious life one day. So, my dear faithful, on this feast of Our Lady's glorification, draw close to Our Lady in her glorified state. Contemplate her. Think about her. Ask her for the same fidelity to the will of God that she had. Ask her for the glory of heaven. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.